Hey, it's Friday, February 9th, 2024. It's a special day because it sure is. we have a student-free work day today. <sighs> yes, these things were unheard of 10 years ago. Right. Five years ago. Enjoying the time to work in our classrooms. It's good stuff. I feel more mature. Yeah. I feel very mature. We got three voices on this one. We got B. Rady, we got K. Squared, Sean Brady, Kevin Klein, and our guest today is someone, and this is why it is, a, this is another reason why it's a special day, Tim Goodman. The Tim Goodman. In the flesh, everyone. <laughs> the main man of Goodtown. That's right, also known as Mr. Goodman. Walking down the Mr. hall Goodman. to come hang out with us. <laughs> if there were a, re if, if there were one person that would give a reason for this entire podcast, it would be Tim Goodman, am I oh. right? Absolutely, Timothy Goodman. How can you say that? An icon in education. Yeah, where mm. do we even start? We could start with we start the awards. With. We could start with the news coverage. We could start with the Ivy League degrees this man we has. We got a Harvard Everything. graduate in the flesh, y'all. We could start with Good Town. Uh, if the radio could see blush, they would see it. Right. <laughs> if the radio show could see the, blush. Yeah. The, the Good Town co community that he has created at this school is the stuff of legend. Mm-hmm. Good Town USA, baby. Right. That's the plug. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, this is going to be a fun episode mm -hmm. because we just get to... Get the history. We get the history. And the details and everything about what makes... Goodman tick. <laughs> yes. And good town, so... Let's take it all the way back. Yeah. All the way back to the beginning, Goodman. Tim Goodman, we've well, both done kind of our origin stories. Oh. Because when people meet you and, you know, you're a man in elementary, uh -huh. they have kind of that, sometimes that um, meet the parents response, right, where the dad says to uh, mm -hmm. Ben Stiller... Oh, so you're a nurse, Greg. Not a lot of men in that profession, right? But, but yep. there, there's some curiosity there. It's like, okay, how did you get? How'd you get into elementary? Why are you still there? That's a great question so because start there. there there is no one in my genetic lineage. Uh, I, sh I should say there's not no one. I should say there's not a pattern of teachers in my family. I do have a grandfather that taught at the university level shortly. But there's really no pattern of teachers in my life, so I can't say it goes back to my, you know, um, childhood parents. Neither of my parents were teachers. Yeah, I didn't have it in my family, so mine just happened to actually come along by mistake. I um, never wanted to be a teacher, but when I started to go to college, my dad was a dentist. So I thought, well, I'll just be a dentist. And at the same time I started my undergrad to become a dentist, or at least the requirements to become a dentist, I also got a job working for a school district. Mm. And it was a part-time job while I was in school to pay, pay the bills. So 20 hours a week, I worked in a variety of schools, particularly with kids who were at risk and or not at risk, but in foster care for the state. Wow. And uh, I did that job at the same time I went to school and eventually four years down the road, I was like, what am I doing trying to become a dentist? I love what I'm doing in these classrooms. And also in some homes, as I tutored, tutored some of the kids as well. Hmm. So this was with a district. It yeah. was a kind of a special uh, outreach program. Yeah. So, but you were at a school or different school sites? Yeah, different school sites. So I covered a geographic area, and any school or foster child in that geographic area that were being served 
I was their mentor. Wow. That That's was in Utah or was it yeah, California? That was in Utah. Because you're from School California, District. right? From California. Uh-huh. Went to school at uh, Brigham Young University in Utah and got a job working for the Alpine School District right next to uh, Brigham Young University and did college to become a dentist at the same time alongside my job as a mentor in schools. Hmm. And eventually, through a series of events, which I will save us from this broadcast, I would say that my life just took a totally different course. I left the trajectory of becoming a dentist and going to dental school and decided to go into elementary education. And that's what got me here. You know, that's interesting. I I have to ask, like, what age groups did you work with? Was it like all age groups? Because I know that Mr. Goodman teaches the younger grades and he's fantastic at it. Uh, but what what age groups did you work with? Uh, anywhere from kindergarten to 12th grade. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so I served kids that were in the system, the state system. The district was given additional funds to make sure that these kids, these kids' needs were being met, given that they had kind of come from a less fortunate circumstance, hmm. some more less fortunate than others. And so it was anybody from kindergarten to 12th grade. So wow. I was working with all of them in the high schools, in the junior highs, in the elementaries. Eventually, as I started, you know, because I, I didn't switch till about three and a half years into my undergrad, wow. which was all just prerequisites for dental school. Obviously, yeah. I was doing nothing like dentistry. But three years and a half in, that also meant I was mentoring and teaching, quote unquote, these kids for three and a half years. So by three and a half years deep, I was like, I think I want to do elementary. So uh, and I and I think the biggest reason for that was not necessarily the age, <clears throat> as much as it was just I didn't really have anything particular that I wanted to dive into topic wise. There was not like geography, I didn't like math, nah, uh, English, nah, performing, nah. I kind of just liked going through it all, and I think that's what attracted to me at elementary. I also felt like I related really well with the elementary school age. Um, see, and that's that's kind of what I was thinking because um, if you've ever been in Goodman's classroom, you can see what an imagination he has and it's perfectly suited mm. for third graders. We were just having a great conversation on how I use stuffed animals in my classroom, even in sixth grade, but how Goodman takes it to the next <laughs> level yes. in his classroom. We've got to play that clip. we got to play that <laughs> clip. Yeah, yeah. You should tell him about that clip. Well, Set it up, well yeah, yeah. We're definitely infested with uh, puppets. And then eventually when I bring puppets out, then, of course, third graders, eight and nine-year-olds, well, they're going to bring out their stuffies. And so um, they are a part of the classroom. As long as they don't take over and they don't get in the way, I let them be. And uh, we did have... We have some indoor friendly free time in the classroom, and uh, the last couple of weeks, our stuffies have taken over so much that we actually had two weddings during unstructured playtime. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's just the other day, right? Yeah, it's just the other day. We had two stuffies getting married. <laughs> Has that ever happened before? You've no. been teaching for how many years? 20. 20 years. Yeah, we've never had two stuffies get married. Never had two stuffies get married. <laughs> it's a new thing. It is. I mean, here it is. I mean, we have an officiating cobra. And we have two small stuffies, one Aurora, the white tiger, and the other one Cosmo, the mountain lion. Mm. And here they are getting married. (laughs) (laughs) This is classic. 
It is. They made a little aisle and everything. Oh, yeah. And there's kissing involved, believe it or not, for third graders. Oh, my gosh. That's usually the gross part. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then don't forget the girl at the end who basically says, no, 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 don't sing that song. That's that's not the traditional song. But you gotta uh, sing don't worry, right. Klein, Klein tapped into the fact that they couldn't decide if it was the, the, Darth uh, Vader's march. Yeah, or uh, Mendelssohn's uh, wedding march. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're Imperial mixing theme. them up. Yeah, yeah they weren't yeah. quite sure. Because they're so, totally the same thing. <laughs> totally. Yeah, so I've always had puppets, and I've always used them in my classroom. Um, I just started with one. Mm. And then because the kids... All they could talk about was that one puppet the first year so I So what did you taught. do with it? I still have it, and he was used to quiz kids at the end of the day or throughout the day on the subjects we had been learning. So like a review, and he would ask them a question, and then they would answer it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a ventriloquist, so it's clear that I'm doing the voice. But, of course, it's not me. But they love it's the, the puppet. They Isn't use their imagination. Yeah, the, the, the playing playing along is something yeah. I think we all enjoy, right? right? I mean, we watch movies that we know aren't real. We invest ourselves in that fantasy. Mm-hmm. I have a, my brother uh, went to Brazil, and he brought back this uh, wooden mask. It's a small wooden mask with some kind of native hair from some animal on it. And it's got this... Uh, these piranha jaws inset into the mask. Oh, and wow. that's hanging up in my room, and that's the desk <laughs> gremlin. And so the desk gremlin will go, and you know, every few days I'll say, hey, the desk gremlin's coming tonight, and if your desk is not clean, then you, if your desk is clean, you get 20, now it's up to 40 through inflation, uh, <laughs> megalodollars, class, class dollars, where the sharks were megalodons, as we call ourselves. So anyway, uh, sixth graders, biggest sharks in the ocean. And so they will, you know, they'll get money. And if it's messy, then they'll get this little card from the desk gremlin that says, you know, you need to fix this or this or this. And uh, if the desks are really a mess, then the desks will actually vomit onto their chairs. Oh! And so desks Whoa. will sometimes throw up their contents onto the chairs. But <laughs> so. uh, yeah, I can just pretend that this the desk gremlin doing all that. It was a man. Exactly. And they know it's me. But some of them will, will write little notes. Thanks, desk gremlin. You know, I hope you have a good weekend. <laughs> Right, and trying to kiss up I to use the this little me. kind of uh, it's the, the, the old '80s like Megadeth uh, writing. That's uh, that's the writing that the Megadeth. That's, that's the, the, the Megadeth. The, uh, oh my god! The Desk Gremlin. Oh my gosh! Writing it, and yeah, the kids will write notes to the Desk Gremlin, and yeah, yeah, and they love it. And yeah. it's like you said, adults do it all the time. Adults mm-hmm. do it in movies. Adults do it, and actually, adults do it when they do live action theater at parks or you know live action reality things that people get together and they do they do all sorts of that what do they call that suspending your disbelief so you can enjoy a story enjoy a show yeah exactly something like that um and kids just do it naturally yeah they do it's a good time and it's amazing what even sixth graders will play along with with the with the stuffed animals i think i mentioned that one of my techniques to get the kids to be quiet is i use a little cat now, they know that my favorite animal ever oh, is a cat. Dogs now, versus cats. Now I know, yeah. Ask Brady. Dogs versus cats. I know, I know this is controversial, but that's part of the reason I use it. Because uh, in sixth grade, we teach argumentative writing. And uh, so I'll be like, all right, cat is the best pet. And boy, if you want to get a rise out of kids and you say cat is the best pet, all the dog lovers are going to come out of the woodworks and freak out on you. But it gets them really engaged. So I have little cat things all around my room, 
And one of my favorite things is this little plushie I was telling the guys I really should wash because he's been in my room for, I don't know, 13 years. Yeah, he's got a gray coat. <laughs> yeah. He, he, so he may have been. Let's see his underside. <laughs> yeah. It ain't so looking good. Brady, it looks like you use him to erase the whiteboard. It uh, does. Is that true? It's a very yeah. flat stomach. Yeah, well, the kids, man. Dirty stomach. The, yeah. the kids have given him a lot of love, and there's a lot of kids over the years. Poor That's thing. a good idea, though, Klein. You could start using Thai Beanie Babies as your erasers on the board and then just oh take a little bit of wash. I mean, yeah. you could use this. Um, yeah. But First tip of the episode. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Use Beanie Babies as erasers. Back to your awesome looking cat here, though. I mean, Yes, it's, awesome. Lo- okay, so here's the story. Uh, the cat's name is literally The Cat. It just stuck. We have no creative name for it. It is just the cat. It's this tiny little kitten, black and white kitten, kind of looks like Figaro, uh, that just kind of sits around my desk or on my desk. And if I ask the kids to line up, it's especially effective if we do it before recess and uh, they're too loud before they go out in the hall. I'm like, oh my gosh, you guys, you woke up the cat. Everybody's got to go back to their seats. We need to put the cat back to sleep. And then I'll grab like a tissue from the tissue container like I'm doing right now. And I'll just Mm -hmm. gently tuck in the cat, put it all around it so everybody can see it. And if anybody's even remotely, I'm like, shh. Oh, he's still a little frazzled. Let's sing him a lullaby. And then I'll get a bunch of 11 and 12-year-olds to sing this little kitty plushie a lullaby so that they can line up to go to recessing. And it's so effective. And they get the biggest kick out of that. They'll be like, oh. And if somebody, like, tries to make fun of the cat, you know, the I'll be like, they didn't mean it. And the other kids will be like, shh, you're offending the cat. And if, if they offend the cat, then they have to write an apology note to the cat just saying, cat, we love you. We're sorry we said what we said. And they have to do all this stuff before they get what they want. And so they'll totally play along with it. That's right. The magic of the cat, magic of the puppet. The things we do. The things we do. In and elementary you know what? School. It really is true because that one wizard puppet that I had that every kid kept saying, you know, I'd ask him at parent teacher conferences that first year I taught, so what are you liking about Good Town? The name of my classroom. Mm. What are you liking? The puppet, whiz. Whiz, whiz, eighty percent of the kids whiz the puppet. They love the wizard. So now there's like twenty mm. in the town. Oh, and Same they don't puppet. consume the day, you know. But yeah, they all have different reasons they're there. One is Hermes the hermit crab. Speaking of your Hermes your the hermit crab, yeah, Hermes ah. swims around at night while How the kids creative. are gone and leaves notes on the desks as to whether they're organized or not organized. Wow. Oh my god. I haven't tried the throw up strategy. I probably should consider that. <laughs> But yeah, he does swim around, and then and then all the other puppets they do have like as easy as greeting the kids at the door in the morning, mm-hmm. to a little more in like a little more invested like the policeman that talk, you know talks about the problems in the town. Interesting. He comes out and talks about safety rules. What kind of so, policeman is it? Is um, it like an, a human it's like a full body human, or? yeah, okay. full body human. Right. Hmm. Yeah, and he does the policing of the town. And he talks about safety concerns that arise at lunch and recess. That's exactly right. That's oh, exactly wow. Right. That is super cool. So you got a lot of little people with big feelings, obviously yep. in third grade. Yep. What, how do you use puppets, puppetry for managing those, controlling those, expressing those? Yeah. Helping the kids to develop the social skills. Well, you know what? It's actually quite incredible. This year, I think because 
I've always had the puppets. They've just grown since year one. I now have probably 20, and then there's probably 20 that are in the wings that aren't being used because I don't have anything for them, and I right. don't actually want to think of anything <laughs> for them. Too yeah. much too going many. on. It's too much. Show. Too much going on. And, you know, I... So I would say this year in particular, though, the kids have loved their stuffies. So going back to your question, it's really interesting because they've learned that, you know, they all have the ability to learn and the power to learn. But other things can hijack that power and take that power away from them, like a puppet on their desk that they play with instead of engaging and learning. Mm -hmm. So they know that the number one priority is you got to stay engaged in your learning. So what it does for some of my kids is I've noticed as they bring their own stuffies to school, some of these stuffies will do the talking for them when they usually wouldn't talk. So I have like a cobra, a kid who got a cobra, and he brings it to school and he raises the cobra's tail when he wants to say something. And he responds in the cobra voice. And he'll participate and engage just like any other kid. But then I have one kid on the other side of the room who maybe is a little more shy, a little bit less prone to say something. But with a puppet in his hand, he or she will. Really? And then the puppet replies. So going back to your feelings, there are some things that certain kids won't feel comfortable doing. But Mm -hmm. by all means, if it's a dramatic play or a comment or something made by the puppet, then they will. It's also, besides that, going back to your question, Klein, about feelings, it's also just comforting to them to have a stuffy on their desk. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Or to have three. (laughs) If the stuffies aren't hurting me and the stuffies aren't hurting them, then what's the big whoop? Let a third grader have it. They're eight or nine years old. I'm so funny. You know, we're adults and a lot of us still collect stuffies. My son took his tiger that he got when he was a year and a half to college. Right. See? <laughs> and my wife's like, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. <laughs> so I watched me. He had this roommate, and we walk in there, we're helping him unload, right? This mm-hmm. is up at Utah State about two hours from here. And uh, this kid's got this, you know, Japanese anime kind of stuffy. It's about the size of like three pillows, right? So I think Tyler was okay with his, his little stuffy, his little tiger. But uh, yeah. That's right. Take it to college because they do. They have, they have, they have a purpose, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, generally, mm-hmm. you, you know, we don't see them as purposeful. But when you're teaching eight and nine-year-olds, you can see. And you know what? For the most part, out of the hundred days we've been in school so far, mm-hmm. there's only been one day where we had a day where I was like, take them all home. We can't do this right now until uh, you guys get back yeah. in right. back in sync. But and I'm you know so what? Glad, yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, you know, thinking of the sixth graders that I've had over the years and yeah. several, you know, always you have a couple kids maybe a year that are on the autism spectrum. Mm-hmm. And, and some of them really struggle to produce speech, you know, to say mm-hmm. what they need or what they want. Um, and I'm going to try that. Mm-hmm. I'm really glad that you brought that up. I'm going to try, hey, do you have a, a stuffed animal or something at home that you can make speak? Mm-hmm. Like with some of these kids, I it's like they won't respond to me directly. And if mm-hmm. I make a little mouth with my fist or something <laughs> like this, right? I mean, they'll engage. Yeah. It's oh, just yeah, yeah, trying will. to bring things out of them. But that's, uh, that's a strategy I'm going to try. Yeah, you know, so I, thank you. I haven't thought of that for myself either, but now that you mention it, did you guys uh, hear that Mr. Rogers did that too? Mm-hmm. Like he was he was very much that way, if, if I remember correctly, and I'm sure I do because this did stand out to me in uh, a documentary about him. That's how he would communicate with really small children. Mm-hmm. I remember him talking about how you get a kid that's super shy, like Goodman's talking about here, that really struggles to produce words or whatever for whatever reason. A puppet was one of the ways that he helped them get over that block because mm-hmm. they felt like they could communicate with the puppet as mm-hmm. opposed to, 
communicating with another human being directly, or they could use the puppet to mm-hmm. communicate, which I think is interesting. Yeah, because if you look at it from that child's perspective, especially in Mr. Rogers' example, you're talking about little preschool age or yeah. you know, six, seven, first grade um, age children who, when they see a giant adult, they don't think, oh, I, you know, I can communicate with that person, right. especially if they're a stranger mm-hmm. or if new. But, man, if they start seeing a puppet... I mean, initially there might be some intrepidation because, you know, a moving animal or a moving puppet might also be a little scary. <laughs> Just depends. But you know what? In the, at the same situ- at the same time, you know, it's very developmentally appropriate for them to believe that that puppet mm-hmm. is actually speaking. You know, this turning into a solid puppet episode. Yes. <laughs> I mean, the benefits of... Yeah. That's, I mean, it's great. And, and you know, that's why we did the podcast. I mean, we had a couple purposes. One is to you know, celebrate the 11% of guys, yes, eleven uh, percent of uh, elementary education teachers in the U.S. who are men, um, and uh, maybe, maybe you know, encourage, promote more guys to to do it. That's there, the hope. You know, a lot of obstacles, but um, gosh, if it's something that is calling to you, and maybe we, I'd love to get back to mm. you know how you felt called to it. You know, you mm. kind of started your story, yeah. Um, but also, yeah, just practical things too. Yeah. And what is it? You know, what what do, is there anything that guys bring to this? Maybe that is kind of well, and I'd love or, or beneficial. Mm-hmm. I'd love to hear from all our teachers out there. Like some of these, uh, some of these tips and these tricks. You mm-hmm. know, just come out through dialogue, through conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, like I've used puppets for years, but I never thought about using it with my super shy children. Mm-hmm. That's something that I'd like to try too. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to hear more comments from you guys and all the other teachers out there in the audience. Yeah, to, and puppets. to hear what, what really gets your students in your classrooms interested in having fun at school. You 100%. know, I, I remember my first ambition in becoming a teacher was for the greater good of humanity. I wanted to just help kids become mm-hmm. responsible, respectful, um, outgoing, friendly, helpful human beings. Fantastic. And just like anything else in life, raising kids or teaching kids, you quickly learn that an eight and nine-year-old, you're not going to watch them become an adult in a matter of months. Like, all of a sudden, they're responsible and doing all their homework, and they won't stop cleaning their room, and they say hello, and they say please and thank you to everything we say. I learned pretty quickly that though that was my ambition, and it still is, you don't see the fruits of that as quickly. But what I saw the fruits of as a teacher was that I actually was probably more, um, became more able to help kids learn to love learning and that I could make it fun for them. Hmm. That's what I realized came more quickly out of my parent responses in my first few years was the phrase, they didn't really like school up until they went to Mr. Klein's class or they went to Mr. Brady's class or they went to Mr. Goodman's class. And so I quickly learned that my ambition to help them become good, responsible, respectful human beings is still there. But what I saw more so, I think more of my, my strength as a human being was to help them just love school. So going back to Brady's invitation, it's like, what is it that men or women are doing in their classrooms that makes kids want to be at school that day? They don't want to stay home and be sick. (laughs) And you know what? For me, even if it's not those shy kids, even if just having a stuffy or a puppet close by means that that kid's not as scared to come to school. Right. Even if they don't say anything. But even if that little puppet or stuffy just makes them a little more comfortable, Mm -hmm. then it's something that works. Yeah. Right. And so whatever it is, each person adds their own touch. Right. Me being a performer growing up and being on stage, I don't. I don't seek that out anymore. That's not really any of my ambitions much anymore. 
used to be when I was young, but I think it was a very much a natural part of me. So as a teacher, it naturally shines through, right? right. Having a puppet, performing, being in front of kids. So I think that part of me comes out, but going back to you know, Brady's question is, what is it that all these other people bring? And what I like about this experience and being able to talk about it is, what are men doing yep. to bring that out in kids in their classrooms? Because one of the 11%, you know, that's hard. You, it's, it's hard to find out what it is. It's hard to talk to other men about being in an ele- elementary school classroom. Amen. You know, we have a lot of upper um, secondary teachers, a lot of administrators, but um, I would love to know what other men are doing in their classrooms that makes them successful teachers. And mm-hmm. what do they do to make their classroom fun? Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I would, I would add to that because I was just thinking as you were talking, you know, what are kids doing to make that happen too? Mm-hmm. Because I'm sure you guys have probably got a few examples of instances where kids have taught you something or they've brought something out that has really made a positive difference that's made it so that your students want to come to school because of what the kids came up with. And if you don't mind, I'd kind of like to share that that instance because mm-hmm. it really, for years afterwards, I, I would tell this story and kids would just jump on board with this because it was something they taught me. And it was something that created a very positive climate where people wanted to show up to school. And that was, it was the very end of the school year. It was like the last day. The last day where, um, you know, most most of the kids were outside in this instance and we were just watching them and they were playing a big game of capture the flag. This is the sixth graders. And I remember as we were playing the game, a kid fell down and got hurt. And this is with a whole lot of sixth graders on the backfield. What they did, like just totally, I'd never seen anything like it, honestly. I guess I'm not too big into sports, but I was shocked by it and I loved it. I even actually took a little video of it because it stuck in my brain. Uh, as being something positive, but the kid got hurt and they were laying on the field and all the sixth graders that were out on the field took a knee. They dropped down to their knees and I guess that was just a thing that those kids that year just had been taught to do. And I was like, how cool is that? That they all dropped to their knees and they just, they were quiet all across that big field and they just waited for this kid that was hurt to recover and I thought to myself what kind of a message does that send to that kid mm-hmm. what it says to me and when I when I brought this up with my other classes is it sends such a positive message it says we care about you more than the fun that we're having right now mm. we care more about you than playing this game or winning this game And what a powerful message that sends to that individual. Maybe he doesn't, he or she doesn't get that positivity all the time. Mm -hmm. Maybe they come to school one day and it's just one more thing and they feel like they're not going to be able to make it. They're going to break. But then they fall down and they hurt themselves. And maybe that would have been the straw that broke the camel's back. Mm -hmm. But then they see all their peers taking a knee, sending them a message of love. And I... I've told my students that throughout the years, and I've seen where some groups of them have just taken it and run with it. Mm -hmm. And this wasn't something I taught them. This is something that the kids taught me, and Mm -hmm. it produces such a positive climate for when kids come to school because they know that they're cared about, Mm -hmm. you know? And uh, it just, it speaks to me of, you know, we're always sending messages, Mm -hmm. and we want to try to send as many positive ones as possible. 
that one's been a real positive one. Yeah, I love that because what kids are going to teach you is usually what their actions show because they're not going to stand in front of you and preach to you. That's just not the norm mm-hmm. in a classroom. It's the adult usually teaching or, or at least providing the opportunities to learn. A kid's not going to come up to you and say, hey, Mr. Brady, guess what I want to teach the class or guess what I learned. Yeah. But what they will do is they'll show you just by, by watching them. And so watching the kids taught you something that day that affected you that then affect will then will affect other classrooms. Even for me, the stuffies this year, I didn't invite kids to bring stuffies. Like that was never on my list of things to do. Right. Mm-hmm. Nor is it ever. I would never invite kids to bring anything Ooh. that could become a distraction. <laughs> right. But as they do, you let them be a part of the teaching. You let them naturally engage. And then as the adult in the room, then you are the one who still has to advocate for their well-being and be like that's not going to help your well-being right. you need to take that home right or let it be yeah let the kids teach let the kids do the teaching the learning and you be there as kind of a wow. a centerpiece that they can look to and you know it'd be interesting to go back and interview those kids you know where'd you learn this or did this just happen did a teacher encourage you but yeah letting the kids yeah how many how many classrooms in how many classrooms do kids get to have that sort of input into their environment have mm-hmm. control over their environment when you're that age mm-hmm. when you know very there, there's so few things that six seven eight nine year old kids get to decide for themselves mm-hmm. about their day and a place like good town mm-hmm. you know you, you talk about maslow's hierarchy <coughs> of needs you know these these they're they're little stuffies they're plush animals they're bringing obviously provides that base level of safety you mm-hmm. know like you mentioned it before it's a safe environment they walk in there and and also they have that decision you know there's just that uh, that autonomy that they can mm-hmm. bring into the environment and and you as a teacher are working with that and you're allowing certain things to develop and happen that you didn't plan you're not in control of you you manage mm-hmm. but these kids get to create create an environment yeah and you're going to have to tell us more about that with Good Town because that is one mm-hmm. of the defining features of Good Town. He's got that. First, system. so I do want to go back to when mm-hmm. you were in dental. You were doing dental classes, right? Like biology, <laughs> yep. anatomy, organic chemistry, physics, chemistry, physics, all this stuff. And then you were yeah, working with kids, uh, foster kids on the side. Mm-hmm. Okay, in, in, you were three and a half years before you decided to become a teacher. Yes. So, exactly. But you had to have some uh, a converting experience or two, I'm guessing, or was it just kind yeah. of a very natural thing? So I would say a lot of it was pretty natural. A lot of it was um, imperceptible. Like it wasn't one moment where I knew. Mm-hmm. But I will say there was, as I, as I alluded to earlier, <clears throat> one moment in time where a series event of events in the universe just happened to fall into place and made it clear to me. Um, and one of those was at a time at about three and a half years in, I was pretty engaged in quite a bit in college, extracurricular, academics, and then work, and then outside of work, just hobbies and you know a social life. And so there was quite a bit that I was doing outside of all of those things with my, my, uh, my hobbies and social life. And I had received this opportunity to perform in, in a first original production and it was, I had to drive to Salt Lake almost on a daily basis. So Tim's a singer. 
Yeah, amazing <laughs> singer. Fantastic singer. Yeah. Do we want to plug any of your merchandise right now? Oh, no, that's okay. okay. That's okay. Just go to timothygoodman.com. There's the only plug. Timothygoodman.com. Okay, so go. this was for so, singing or, or stage Yeah, performing. Performing, okay, yeah. So, so some yeah, acting, singing. Acting and singing. So I, musical or something. I had done that. I had done that my whole life. And when I got to college, I did it once. Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor the Dreamcoat when Classic. I was at BYU. Right. Wow. And then it was the Who were you? I was Joseph. Don't picture me in a loincloth. So oh, right there. Stop fantastic. right there. No, it's an incredible it was an incredible experience. And actually probably the one that kind of capped off. I haven't done anything really like that since then but this next one that I did was for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and they had written and just barely um, um, started to uh, workshop and produce a show called Savior of the World the Life of Jesus Christ and uh, I had auditioned and was invited to come up and perform but because it was a original production had never been performed before there was quite a bit of work that went into it as a member of the original cast mm. and because it was the church and they had never done a musical on their property on their stage produced by the church they've done a lot of other things like it but never something like this and so that was going to take quite a bit of my time away and I was already working 20 hours a week and going to school with 13 credits. And so that started pulling at that part of my life. And then, of course, school was still busy and I was doing a lot of pre-dental classes and they were very demanding. I was performing with the ballroom dance company at BYU and I was competing with my partner. So we were doing, um, you know, coaching lessons and learning routines and all of these things. So wow. between the four of those wow. things and maybe five things that I was getting engaged with, um, it was just too much. Mm -hmm. And so at that point in time, when the universe aligned, I had to actually drop something. Right. And the thing that seemed easiest to drop was a class because, you know, I can do the class in the summer or the spring. I didn't want to drop the show. I didn't want to dr drop competing as a dancer. I didn't want to drop work because that paid the bills. So at that point, I had to decide, OK, well, I'm going to go ahead and drop this class. And it was a pretty heavy duty class and I didn't drop it because I didn't want to do it. I was pretty much on my path to become a dentist. Um, and I'd known that I had liked working with the kids, but it hadn't overshadowed the thought of me becoming a dentist yet. But I dropped that class. And when I dropped that class, the more time that went on and I wasn't doing as much pre-dental prerequisites, I, more, uh, I started more to see that, wow, I actually don't know if that's where I should go. Mm -hmm. And uh, there were some other series of events that even happened in the show that made it pretty clear to me that performing probably wasn't going to be something that I'd do for the rest of my life. And so that sort of, you know, for now, it, I'm looking back, I see that and I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense. But back then when I was still performing, it was kind of hard to swallow. Like, I'm not sure I'm going to be doing this much longer. And yeah. that was much more of a deep reason for those things. But uh, that started happening. And then the pre-dental course being on the, on the burn, side burner was like, I'm not going to do that anymore. And then eventually going to work every day, I was like, you know what? This thing with kids is like really working out for me. Nice. I got so much more of a charge out of going to work than solving problems in physics and solving problems in organic chemistry. And because I got more of a charge out of those things, they just felt like they were more relatable to me. You know, sadly, you don't really learn how to become a dentist until you get to dental school, right? So right. sadly, I probably missed that opportunity missed to that see part. what it would have been like. But just the, own, the process that the world has put in place to become a dentist 
got in my way. Mm-hmm. I don't think being a dentist is bad or wrong, and I think I would have been successful at it. But the process that our society has put in place before you become a dentist was easily overshadowed by me going into classrooms and making a difference in kids' mm. lives. And so then that is where the three and a half years, I was like, all right, you know what? I'm not going back to that class. Yeah. And uh, I talked to some family members about it. I talked to other people about it. And it was pretty clear that although it was a really hard decision, that I would become a teacher. And that was where I switched and didn't take any more of my prerequisite classes. And I enrolled in theater for the elementary education teacher. And I went from studying organic chemistry to making sock puppets. Nice. (laughs) In the theater classroom, which still, uh, you know, honestly, actually sounded kind of silly at the time. I was Mm -hmm. like... Okay. All right. Here Love we your are. facial expression. Doing little plays and sock <laughs> puppets. Yeah. Oh my gosh! And you know that was. Yeah. How was your identity shift there? Because you know. Yeah, that was a huge identity yeah, shift. I could be a dentist. You uh-huh. know, there's some. There's some clout. You're gonna make yeah. a lot of money exactly. being a dentist, and now you're you going elementary. What store did you tell? Yeah. With a cough kit. Sorry. Yeah, that was. It, it was a hard moment for me because that was a shift that I was having to make that I knew was going to have make an impact on my trajectory of my life. Um, and back then it was hard. Back then I couldn't see it. Back then I went from being in a class with all men jockeying for position because that's actually what you do when you get to dental school or medical school. Oh, yeah, you literally jockey yeah, for yeah. your position mm. and you literally miss out if you don't get to the right position. And so it went from that to being the exact opposite in the field of education. It's all about personal growth. Meet you where you are. Learn learn the style that you need to learn gardeners multiple intelligences you know it's all about meeting the individual where they are and so it was a very different shift it was a bit hard for me at first it was it was really tough but eventually the more i got into the classroom working with and teaching the kids i started looking back thinking wow you know what when i used to volunteer in classrooms like i i i, I felt kind of at home but it never spoke to me like you'll be a teacher one day Right. Or when I was in elementary school, I never wanted to be like my teachers. Right. Right. I never wanted to be a teacher. That was actually never in my cards. And saving this for another episode on another day, I especially didn't want to because I grew up with a speech problem. Mm. Oh, wow. A major stutter that was so bad it was called a stall. So actually, if you asked me back then, teaching was on the last. (laughs) Was not my last list. It was not even on my list of Mm. top ten because of that problem that I had in front of people. And so, I mean, I did overcome that, and that's a story in and of itself, but I'm just showing the the contrast. Back then, I didn't even think of being a teacher, not even in high school. Or Who would have thought that? Getting into college, it wasn't even really my thing. But then eventually, when you start to see yourself, and looking back now, 20 years later, I can see why I am a teacher, because of what it does for me as a human being, and having a job where I come and give back to the world yeah. in a very positive way, in a very you know, moral way. It has been so exhilarating to have a workplace where I come and I actually make an impact in the lives of other human beings. Yeah. And there's not really a lot of jobs where you get that same kickback. And I'm kind of mm. like my dad. I'm not really driven by money. Mm-hmm. Money is important, and I would love to have as much of it as possible. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't, I wasn't made to like know how to run a business or make money. That's just not in my genetic makeup. Right. Um, my dad's been the same way, for better or for worse. 
And so as I look now at my career, I found the right profession that speaks to me. And so whenever I'm in conversations with people about, well, what do you do? And, oh, well, you know, I hope you like it or I hope and I it's there's no doubt in my mind that this is where I need it to be. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad it worked out when it did. Yeah. And uh, I have absolutely zero regrets. I have zero ambitions to become an administrator unless they're a little more liberal in the way that they administrate, you know, Gosh, or that's another episode. That's right? another episode. episode too. So save that Governing one for later. School. But it's just <laughs> teaching is just what you is what I love to do. Mm-hmm. When you, so did you have to go back and do all the education classes before you taught or did you do the alternative route to licensure? <clears throat> no, I had to do all the other classes. So I was in school oh instead of four years, it was five and a half. Okay. Your bachelor's degree your, in education yeah, took five, and, took half five years. and a half years. What were some of the measures? You said you went and talked to family members, people, mm-hmm. friends, you know, what yeah. were some of those responses? Um, the one that was probably the most heartwarming was my father's mm-hmm. because he's a dentist. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. And I was the second oldest in my family and so nobody else had come along yet so I didn't know if anybody younger than me would take those reins but my dad said to me I think that actually fits you better Mm, wow I think that's actually I think you need to do what you do best and even though I've never seen you teach I think that sounds like such a better fit for you were you looking into dentistry because uh, how much of it was your dad's influence and just you know I wouldn't, uh, it was, it was almost all my dad's influence, but not really his influence on me, but just the mere fact that he was a dentist. And I didn't really have anything else besides performing that was calling my name. Right. But I am more of a realist. So even a performer was never on my cards because I wasn't that gifted of a performer and I couldn't see myself. Maybe I could have made a living at it. It's pretty hard to make a living as a performer, right? Yeah. You've got to have pretty much another job or you've got to be really good at it. Yeah. And so for me, um, performer was even, even then, even though I loved it, I knew it really wasn't in my cards. And so outside of that, I was like, well, what else? I, I was like, you know, a teenager, like, I don't know what I want to do. Mm-hmm. I, I, I guess my dad's a dentist. I could take over his practice. And maybe I'll be a singing dentist. <laughs> maybe I'll maybe I'll be some sort of an innovator. Another, another episode. I think it's a show on that. Do you I'll like a, a video dentist. on that? He'll be a dentist. Yeah. He's got a talent. <laughs> Name it for causing people pain. Uh, isn't it? Little, is it mu- little Shop, Shop of Horrors. Oh, little Shop, Shop of, of Horrors. Yeah, there's Steve your musical Martin, connection. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's a little bit of a Steve Martin look to uh, yeah. Tim Goodman. Man, uh, TimothyGoodman.com if you want to hear some good music. Just go visit it right <laughs> away. He, he's my favorite, man. He's going to put him. up a video of himself doing yeah, Little Shop of Horrors impersonations now. Yeah, yeah, we'll get some of those impersonations going. Right, well, were there any neutral negative responses? None that I can remember. The only response I would say just came from the stereotypical men don't teach. Mm-hmm. And so when you're one or two men out of a, you know, a cohort of 20 to 30 or 40 women, um, it what just naturally like? has an effect on you. Like, yeah. Yeah. oh, I guess I'm more of a woman than I am a man. <laughs> granted, I knew who I was and I knew what I stood for and I knew where I came from and I knew... I didn't have the, you know, I didn't, and especially then I didn't have the identity pushes that I think exist now in 2024 that maybe push more. But back then it was just kind of like a little bit hard to swallow. You kind of, you know, it kind of takes a little bit of a a dent yeah. in your, you know, oh gosh, am I, 
I wonder if... I have, like, okay, I guess. I wonder if you were more mature than me, because in one of our other episodes, um, I I did want to be... I'm just wondering how you handled it, because you seemed, like, so put together. But um, I always wanted to be a teacher. And I, I mentioned this, so I won't bore everybody with the details, but, you know, since I was a small kid, I wanted to be a teacher. And so when I went to go do it, and I actually started diving into elementary education, there was a bit of shame that I felt because um, I knew I wasn't gonna make a lot of money. And so when I was in these classes with all these girls and I wanted to impress them, I knew it couldn't be because of the money that I was going to be making. And so I'm wondering how you handled the same thing that I handled when people would ask me what I went into. Mm. Like girls would be like, oh, what are you studying? And they'd be like studying some profession that was gonna make them a lot of money. And then I had to tell them that I was going to be an elementary school teacher. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? And it was hard on me. And so I guess the immature part of me was I felt like I needed to say that I was doing something else. So when I first started out, I would say, oh, I'm doing elementary school, but I'm also uh, doing multimedia. Or uh, I'm doing elementary education, but I'm eventually going to be an administrator. Yeah. Or it was always the but. and the, Or later on, I'm doing elementary education, but I'm also a real estate agent. Mm. And honestly, so much of it was to kind of protect my pride. I wanted to be able to, you know, sound like I was going to be super successful, but there was this immature part of me where I was just like, I felt like I had to make up for it. Did you ever feel that way? Like, how did you handle it when you, when people asked you what you were going into? And it was just purely because I know that everybody knows we don't make that much money. Right. Yeah. You know what? I don't remember anything as specific as yours that I had the same kind of shame in the sense that like I wasn't going to make a lot of money. And so when I was dating or going out with girls, I would often play, you know, I tried to play instead of the card of like the money card, I, you know, it was always much more that I would explain to them why I was becoming a teacher. It's like, See? well, I have this, you know, <laughs> it's, just, mature point. it's just something that I oh, love to do or I've got. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <sighs> he matured faster than I did. Good job, Goodman. <laughs> no, I <laughs> where they are. Yeah, right? yeah point, exactly. No, but your point, wherever. Brady. Now, the other thing that you could be up against is my memory. Oh, no, okay. you could be up okay. against my memory. Okay. Maybe I don't remember. <laughs> now, I would have to say like anybody, there is a bit of shame in the sense that like I'm not going to be making a lot of money Mm -hmm. that's always a part of the conversation in college so what you're sharing is not you being isolated it's just me I don't remember specific deeper feelings that I was like oh like I'm kind of shameful but I was always a bit I was actually more I think I remember when I first started teaching making like $25,000 in 2004 as an elementary school teacher, qualifying for low-income housing. Oh, yeah. I remember remember feeling less shame and feeling more embarrassed for society. Oh, Like, I remember thinking, this is so embarrassing that we have come to this. Like, how am I qualifying for low-income housing and I'm fresh out of college I am a brand new adult who has the energy, you know, of, of a million and like yeah. I'm getting paid $25,000 yep. to start teaching mm-hmm. and the union wanted to take $50 out of every paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute. So I just, I, I don't remember specifically feeling the exact same pressure that you did. Mm. To a degree I did. I'm, you know, I'm not saying it wasn't there. I don't remember it poignantly, but I do remember being really embarrassed. Okay. And that was actually one of the fuels that sent me on a course of like, I want to change that. Yep. 
and then you realize, wait, uh, can I change that? Uh, wait a minute, how possible is that? Micro changes. How much and what's the scope? And yeah, everything, every, right? exactly. A little bit helps, I guess. But I would say for every man, that is a hard reality to come to. Yep. I would also say it's going to change for a man who might have three kids already. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. If you start teaching and you yep. have three kids, that pressure is going to look very different. Right. If you, you know, start the job and you're not married, that pressure is going to look different. Yeah. The household if, with double wage earners and yeah. what that looks like. And yeah. Right. Oh. Well, that that did happen to my my oldest brother. I'll mention that since you brought it up. But uh, he he teaches uh, physics, like uh, nuclear physics, at West Point, or at least he's done that. So he's a very talented phys- physicist, um, and uh, he. Before that, he applied to be a teacher over at a high school, and he'd already been married, and he had four kids, and mm-hmm. he just couldn't make it. He right. couldn't afford it on that income, and so we lost him. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking at the time, I'm like, God, he's like one of the best teachers I've ever met when it comes to mathematics and physics. Like, mm-hmm. there's just the way he explains it and the way he does it, and we lost him because mm-hmm. he couldn't afford it. But the military right. gained him. And he's fantastic. Yeah. Plug for my brother. Love you, James. Yeah. But, um, yeah. And it's probably different, I mean, and for you, um, you know, being the fact, if if that's the brother that's your twin. No, this is my oldest brother. It's your older brother. So that's a little bit different as well, probably. And I would say the other difference could also be how, what your trajectory looks like in becoming an educator. See, you always wanted to be a teacher. So you mm-hmm. had a lot of time to think about it. Oh, yeah. Right? I like, did. Should I? Is that going to make me enough money? I actually didn't have much time to think about it. You just it happened at chose. that three and a half year mark. Chose you. And because it chose me, I think I probably had a little bit less of an insecurity that way where it was like, because I really felt like this was just what I was going to do. Like it was. So I think everybody's just a little bit different. Like you grew up knowing you wanted sense. to be a teacher. So you kind of had all that time to like process it for a dude like me that was just kind of like, oh, I guess this is feels better now. And I think it, you know, yeah, I would say education still could choose you. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it didn't choose mm-hmm. you, but mine just came a little more abruptly. You I know, I can see that. Yeah, that makes sense. You went through a bit more of the process of elimination. You know, right. you tried this course uh-huh. and you, you, so you knew that you didn't have any wondering after that, like, right. oh, gosh, should I have become a dentist? No, I already pursued that long enough to where I, I knew this wasn't the course I wanted to take. Yeah. And for me, I became an elementary teacher at age 44. Ah, so wow, I had eliminated. Right, you need right. to, you, go, if you haven't shared yours, we need to know your story. I did a little bit in the previous a little, episode. A little bit of sharing. But you know what? Yeah, it'll, 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 bits and details will come out. But yeah, I, so I had eliminated a lot of other. But basically, you had been in the, in the workforce for 20 years. Yeah, education related. Became, okay. But yeah, I, through a series of experiences, you know, just and did you have the same feelings that we talked about or that Brady talked about as far as like, wow, I'm not going to make very much? Uh, as a, we'll see, we, I was teaching high school in Australia and they paid pretty well. They pay a livable wage there. Uh, when we moved back, uh, so we had two young kids, my wife, and, and she um, was a school, psych- she's a school psychologist and uh, had worked in counseling centers at the university setting in uh, domestic violence shelters and kind of independent counseling. So she was, she has... She makes more than I do. All right, we'll just say that. <laughs> but um, keeps us humble. But so when we moved back, she Again. didn't have didn't have um, a job yet. Some things that she were looking she was looking at uh, fell through, and so I started looking at school districts. This was about August, and um, yeah, it was just so discouraging. I mm-hmm. thought that's not going to cover a mortgage, mm-hmm. not even a mortgage, exactly. Let alone what else we have to live on. So mm-hmm. uh, had to look around and 
you know, done some writing and editing and, and software work. And so I fortunately I found a job with an ed tech company mm-hmm. that paid a livable wage until um, my wife could get established. And, and uh, then, yeah, she said, you know, one day you're going to go back to teaching. Mm. And the tech company I was with stopped making content. And so this was about <laughs> late July 2018. And yep, there, there was my a reintroduction into the classroom, mm. and I've loved it. Well, yeah. We've loved having you, man. Wow. Thank you. It's good stuff. It is interesting how it happens, and I don't think we're the only profession that has that, you know, that has that problem of, like, you know, not making enough to start with. Mm. Um, you know, I'm sure there's other ones out there, and I can probably name a few of them and what they are, um, and, I, and I don't think that we're necessarily extenuatingly different or, like, that we're mm. extra more special. But just in general, whether I was a teacher or not, in a society, I believe teachers should be more revered and better paid. Oh, yeah. Or at least have a better tiered system. You know, for me yeah. to start at 25 and then end at 100 grand, like, or end at whatever I would end at one day, like, mm-hmm. in my opinion, like, that should be reevaluated. Like, whether I'm a teacher or not, educators, in my mind, are, should be at the forefront of, like, you know, a system of getting better pay. And so as much as we're not the only ones, I do think teachers should be at least one of those that gets, it's a little better pay so that you get, um, you know, you get either a better experience or you get better teachers. And I'm not saying that more money will make better teachers. There's a lot more at play there. That would be a whole different episode. I can get on board with that. It is a bit embarrassing. (laughs) I can get on board with that. That, you know, even even in Utah right now in 2024, the fact that you are short having a teacher shortage once again you know my embarrassment was my salary now and 20 years later my embarrassment is that there's a shortage of teachers you know so anyways that's obviously another discussion in and of itself but as we talk about men in the profession um, it's a very poignant part of the conversation because men are often one or the breadwinner in a family and how can you do that as a starting teacher well oftentimes you can't it it can happen, but it is very difficult. Mm-hmm. My my dad was taught fifth and sixth grade while I was growing up, and I remember uh, we we really really had to struggle. Um, but he was really good at managing the budget. You know, he like we had powdered milk and we had a lot of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, <laughs> and our excursions were to the parks and stuff like that, which honestly were fantastic memories and Are whatnot. Was your mom teaching too then? She wasn't while well, we were small kids. Okay. Um, it, he was the sole breadwinner. Now, as I know, right? Yeah. But as we got older and we were able to take care of ourselves, then she went back to work and she taught high school. So I had two teachers in the family. But man, I just remember we really had to. And he was so good at budgeting money, you know, I didn't notice it so much as a small child, but how many kids? There was five kids. Yeah. Wow. Five children. So I know it's possible. It can it can happen. So I, I know somebody out there is gonna be like, Well, you just gotta budget just right. I agree. Um, but you know, it helps have have what's that song? We got a lot of what it takes to get along. <laughs> that you know, Damn. they're talking about money or something. Mm-hmm. It it's just as easier if you have a little bit of income. Mm-hmm. But we made it work, and I like peanut butter and jelly still. <laughs> Visiting the Crunchy park. Or <laughs> both, man. I'll take both. Hundred percent. Classic Brady. He'll make you happy either way. Yeah. Time check twelve ten. Time check twelve ten. Wow. Oh my, we've been talking a while. So. Yeah, we have. So yeah, what 
kind of what I'm thinking is, I, gosh, you know, since we're new at this, we got a couple threads. I want to tell the Goodman story, and we can leave. So we could, we could pause right now and then just do.